I made the challah at my friend's suggestion, and it was such a cool experience, and I kept doing it. And then, as you mentioned, it was more of a realization down the line, after I had been doing this for a while, that this repetitive weekly behavior had become my meaningful ritual, and it had become this really important part of my life. I was rearranging my Fridays to make sure that I would have time, whether it was first thing in the morning or honestly right before dinner. There are times when I pull the challah out from the oven and literally bring it to the dining room table. But I was making time every week for this. And then I knew I was onto something. Hi, I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Dr. Beth Riccanati, author of Braided, A Journey of a Thousand Hollas, and finalist for the 2018 National Jewish Book Award in Women's Studies. Hi, Beth, and welcome to The Big Schmear. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you today. Oh, cool. And I'm very happy to have an opportunity to talk with you about your book and, of course, about challah. <laughs> Before we get started with our real conversation here, I want to give listeners just a little bit of background on you. And so here's my little formal introduction. Beth received her medical training at Case Western Reserve University and New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. She was a practicing physician for over 10 years at both the New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center's Women's Health Center in New York City and the Cleveland Clinic's Center for Women's Health and the Cleveland Clinic's Wellness Institute. Beth received her MD and has built her career around bringing wellness into women's everyday lives, especially busy moms juggling life and children. So very impressive um, resume, and you have to know you're my first MD guest. This is very cool, quite an honor. So to be honest with you, I didn't really think about the medical part when I spotted your book listed in the Jewish Book Awards. All I saw was the title, Braided, A Journey of a Thousand Hollas. And all I could think of was, first of all, I have to read this book because it could be a really great podcast episode. And then about midway through the book, I just thought, I have to find this author. We have to do this. And so here we are. So that's kind of the, the long story about how you and I got connected. And of course, with both of us having the same first name, you know, it's, it's a match made in heaven, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so in order for us to get to the Hala place, I, I think what might be great is for you to tell me a little bit more about your training and your early work as a doctor. Sure. Tell me a little bit about that. Of course. So I finished medical school a little over 20 years ago. And when I started medical school, I went in with a focus on women's health. And I maintained that interest throughout med school and then through my training. And I was fortunate enough to be in New York City at Columbia where they had a women's health center. So it really was quite perfect. I had trained in internal medicine because I was really interested in how the whole body worked. And I wanted to better understand that. So first we were in New York. And I practiced there. And then when we moved back to Cleveland, I'm actually from Cleveland, um, I joined the Women's Health Center at the Cleveland Clinic, um, where I was for about five years before moving over into their Wellness Institute. 
this is relevant for the for the book because while I was at the Wellness Institute at the Cleveland Clinic, I ran a program called Lifestyle 180 to treat chronic disease through lifestyle. And what I mean by that is nutrition, exercise, and stress management. And making hala is a great form of stress management for me. So it all has come full circle, <laughs> which is really lovely. That's always great when that happens in your life. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think. And so maybe you could read this one section early on in the book under doctor's note, if you could share that with us. Sure. Okay. The section, as you said, is called Doctor's Note, Saved by the Hala. I had bone-weary, drop-dead, gray hair-inducing fatigue, debilitating fatigue, the wake-up-at-4-a.m.-every-morning kind of fatigue, the lost 10 pounds and hadn't altered my diet kind of fatigue. I was so tired that I began to think something was seriously wrong with me, and I knew about wrong. My job was to deal with wrong. I was a doctor. I saw all kinds of wrong every day. All the while, I gave my patients advice that I was not following myself. I was a hypocritical mess, if I was honest with myself, headed to exactly the same place that all my patients were headed, to a place where I was disconnected with my body and my spirit, to the place where disease loves to take hold. In hindsight, one behavior helped me manage through the chaos, to find a moment of peace and to propel me forward, making a loaf of white bread. A loaf of bread called hala, one that I made from scratch, alone in my kitchen one Friday, and then on the following Friday, and again and again for ten years. One thousand loaves of hala and counting. This behavior has helped ground me again, taking time to make hala on Friday. It has nothing to do with pills or procedures, magical potions or miraculous surgeries, and it has everything to do with stopping for a moment to be present in my life. This is my story. This is the story of how making hala, more specifically, how stopping for a moment once a week, helped me to regain a measure of balance. So that's really powerful stuff, and it seems to me that it's it's the perfect connection between your medical training and then this practice that you started making hala. So tell me, was there like one incident that made you step back and realize this, that you needed to, to just pay attention to your own health? Were there a number of things and then you finally woke up one day and said, oh, this is what I should be doing? Or did it kind of happen, were you already making hala and it just like lights went off in your brain and you realized this was helping. Tell me what that was about. I didn't set out to make hala as a healthy, healthful behavior. I made it because when I, a friend of mine 10 years ago recommended one day before the Jewish holidays that I make hala, which was a crazy suggestion if you knew me then because I didn't bake anything except those marvelous brownies out of a box, the Ghirardelli brownies. You, know, you add the egg in the water. <laughs> I, c I could do that. That was right. my, my definition of baking. And I really was stretched too thin at that point. I was, I, was, I was really overwhelmed trying to raise three kids and work and be a wife and a mom and a friend and a daughter. And it just, it was a lot. And I made the hala at my friend's suggestion, and it was such a cool experience, and I kept doing it. And then 
as you mentioned, it was more of a realization down the line after I had been doing this for a while that this repetitive weekly behavior had become my meaningful ritual and it had become this really uh, important part of my life. I was rearranging my Fridays to make sure that I would have time, whether it was first thing in the morning or honestly right before dinner. There, there are times when I pull the challah out from the oven and literally bring it to the dining room table. But I was making time every week for this. And then I knew I was onto something. It must have been kind of an odd thing. I'm just trying to imagine what your life was like. I have one child. I, I didn't have three, and that was hectic enough. And so... <laughs> and then the career and all of that. And so you must have thought, how odd is this that I'm suddenly carving this time out of my day, to my Fridays, to do this? And white bread, no less. <laughs> Let's not forget, yeah, as a doctor, I'm making white bread. Um, it was an interesting realization, but it really had become my meaningful ritual. And I really was feeling better because of it. And my anxiety was decreasing. And I I was much more present and aware. And the really great thing about that was I could take it with me during the course of the week. So for example, you know, when, when you, I don't know if you've made, if you've made bread before or worked with yeast, but I have. Um, so, so you know then that the yeast has to proof. It has to rot. You have to wait for it to bubble. And I didn't have much patience before this. And while I don't always have a lot of patience now, I certainly have more. And I find myself sometimes laughing during the week when I'm not feeling very patient. I know how to do this. And it's been great to carry some of those lessons with me during the week and then get the reminder the next week because I'm sure I'd forget. So it's really this new learned behavior, right? It's behavioral modification at its finest, yes. And you keep reinforcing it for yourself and then... You actually, sounds to me like you get a lot of reinforcement from people saying how wonderful the bread is and how great this is that we get to share this. So that's, it's like a win-win kind of situation. Absolutely. It's fantastic that way. And now because of, because of the book and others are, are making challah, it's been really super. People send me photos of their challah. And I've actually just recently started a photo gallery on the website. And it's so much fun to see. People make beautiful challah, let me just say. <laughs> so maybe this is a good time so I don't forget later tell everybody what your give your website address so that people can look you up if they'd like to oh of course it's housecallsforwellness.com and that's all one word obviously great so I have another question for you about hollow baking I'm wondering um, so on the one hand it's this learned behavior that's helping you kind of be in touch more with yourself, which is really important. But then there's the other part of it, which is the Jewish part. And and I'm wondering if challah baking connected you in a different way to your Jewish identity. And has has it changed over time? It absolutely did. I grew up very reform, Christmas trees, eating ham reform. And I didn't know a lot about the history of challah, and I didn't appreciate the rich tradition behind challah. And one of the things that I love about this weekly ritual is that it helps to both build community and to sustain community, and in this case, my Jewish heritage. So I love that on Fridays when I'm making challah, I have a friend making challah in New York and a friend in London and a friend in Tel Aviv, and we're all making challah on Friday for the same reason, and this has been going on since the time of Sarah. I find that incredible to be so connected 
to this rich and long And do you tradition. think that seeing this behavior and, I mean, seeing their mom feel good about doing this baking, but also the fact that it's a Jewish bread that you're making, has that impacted your children in any way, do you think? I do, because for starters, it means that we have Friday night dinner, which is fantastic. It's become a real touch point for our family. And almost every Friday, we have dinner with our children and their friends. And that's just a great anchor in this sort of crazy mixed up world that we're all living in. And it's because I make challah every week. So I'm really, really grateful for that. You know, I I probably should have asked you this earlier, but I, I wonder if you could just talk even briefly, for those people who listen to the podcast who, who may not be Jewish even, and just tell them a little bit about challah, just touch on that and, and the history about it. Sure, of course. So challah is the bread that we eat every Friday on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, and uh, it is a braided bread. Uh, usually when you see it at the bakery, it's got either three strands or a six-stranded braid. I usually just make the three-stranded braid. But occasionally you'll see different shapes, and there's lots of symbolism, as there are in so many areas of Judaism. For example, at the New Year, I make a round challah that helps to mark the, uh, it's another year in the cycle of life. And throughout the year, sometimes people make different shapes for different reasons. But what I think is super cool about challah that I had no idea about until I started researching the history of challah is that The actual bread that we eat is really just bread. The challah itself is a little piece of dough that I pull off from the ball of dough that's risen when I'm making the dough itself. Right before I braid it, I take a little piece off and I say a special blessing. And that, I have learned, is actually what challah is. It's that piece of dough. And the mitzvah of making challah, the the blessing of making challah, is to remember to remove that little piece of dough and to say a blessing. And the reason that we do that is to commemorate that we used to have a temple and we used to make an offering. And while we no longer have the temple anymore, this is the way to symbolize that. And I think that's really beautiful. And so now I do that. As soon as I found out about it, I started doing it. And once in a blue moon, I forget to do it. And I, I, I know nobody else knows, but I'm telling you, Beth, if I forget to do it, I swear the bread tastes differently. There's just something really magical about, about making it with intention and imbuing that tradition with it. And, you know, you talk about that in such a lovely way in the book. You just kind of bring all of that to life. And I love that about the book. I love a lot of things about the book. That's one of the things I really like. So I'm guessing that in various, you know, various times of your life, making challah had more importance or less importance, depending on what was going on. Would you say that looking over the last however many loaves you've made now to date, do you see any kind of pattern or anything? Or can you see any, were there certain events in your life that made a difference in how you were thinking about it? There's a really... um really beautiful ritual at the start of making challah that I didn't know in the beginning. And so I think that the challah was different than now. And that is before I actually start to make the bread on Friday at all. I mean, when I've just gotten out the eggs and the yeast and the sugar, etc., and put them on the counter, I stop and I think about why I'm making this and in whose merit I'm going to make it 
for that week. And sometimes it's pretty innocuous. I mean, maybe one of my kids has a test at school and I want to wish them well. But sometimes it's really serious and deep. We recently had a family member who was sick and I made it in his merit. And that's really, I find that really powerful. And I do think it affects the whole experience, not of, you know, making the bread and then later of eating the bread. And when I make challah with a group of women and we all go around the kitchen counter talking about in whose merit we're making the bread, it is an unbelievably fast way to get really deep and in touch with the group, which I, I enjoy doing. That's, I think that's really lovely. I forgot about that, so I'm glad I forgot about that part in the book. So I'm glad you reminded me of that. I mean, the book is just so lovely. There's so many wonderful things about it. And making challah is kind of the thread throughout the book that keeps you connected. But there's so much more in there that it's just a lovely book. I'll say more about that toward the end. So I know you have baked bread on your own. Then you've also, as you mentioned, you know that you have friends all over the world that are also in the process of making challah for Shabbat. And then I also know that you've had friends, women friends, even sometimes people you don't know so well, over at your home, and you've baked part or the whole uh, challah together. How are those experiences, does it change the way you think about making bread, or does it change how you feel about the importance of challah, how does that affect you? And maybe it doesn't. Maybe that maybe it's just about making bread. I, I'm just trying to get a sense of, is there a community there that makes it more important or changes the texture of what you're doing? I think one of my favorite things about making challah is that it's such a, a great way to build community and to sustain community. So I really enjoy the opportunity to make challah with, with other people for that reason. And it's just a great opportunity to share stories and to do something with intention and to all together come together to do something with intention and to be mindful and present in the moment. And when we do that as a group, I think it helps to sustain that behavior as well. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about, well, maybe I'll get to that. Maybe I'll, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So I have one other question to ask you about the process of making bread. And that is, do you have a do you have a favorite step? And maybe it's something you already mentioned um, uh, when you start to make the challah. Is there, and does it depend on the day? <laughs> it probably does, but I really do like kneading the dough and just getting my hands in that bowl of dough. And there's just, there's a line in the book where I write, I need for my needs. And there's something really <laughs> marvelous about just Pounding dough on a kitchen counter. It's not really pounding, but, but kneading the dough on the kitchen counter. And some weeks it's a little longer. Some weeks it's shorter. I think that's probably my favorite step. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could also get rid of some aggression in that, depending on how, yeah, how, um, how intensely you knead the bread, <laughs> knead the dough. So clearly you've baked a lot of challah. And... There are a lot of women out there who have been baking hollows for years, decades, whatever, but they don't choose to write a book about it. So what prompted you to write a book about baking hollow? It was probably about five years ago when I realized that I had learned a lot 
and that I wasn't the only stressed out person on the block. And if I had found such benefit from this behavior, making hala once a week, that maybe I could share some of those lessons as well. And concurrently, I was actually trying to write a different book on a whole different subject. I, I was working on another project and realized that, that it was this story, actually, that I wanted to tell. And it came together as a result of that. I initially started writing it just as a memoir. I thought, I'll just tell my story. But the memoir was mm -hmm. lacking the history piece of it. And it was lacking some of the food piece of it. So then I thought, well, I'll write a cookbook because it's about hala. But the problem with that is that there's only one recipe. So it's not really a cookbook. And then I thought, okay, I'll write a self-help book and it will be more sort of medical. But that was missing the cookbook piece and the history piece as well. And so ultimately what I realized was I could do all of that in one book. And that's what Braided has become. It's part memoir, part cookbook part how-to that tells the story. Well, you did a great job with putting all those pieces together, that's for sure. I also thought what was really pretty cool about it was that you divided up the sections of the book to represent the steps to making hala and to tell your own story in addition to how to bake a bread. And I thought that was so clever. Thanks. Yeah, the, the story is divided into the recipe. It's the recipe, right? Each chapter is a line of the recipe. Yeah. And yet, it's way more than a recipe. How did you come up with that structure? Or did it just kind of happen? No, I wrote a lot of drafts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it was, it was a long year. It was a really long year. I'd never written a book. I had no idea what I was getting into. It, writing a book is not for the faint of heart, let me just say. And I applaud anybody who sets out to do this. But after a lot of effort... This is what emerged. Yeah, it's just, it's lovely. If I were to ask you, which I'm going to do that, what would you want for them to take away from this book? I think the most important thing for me is that it's important for all of us to have a meaningful ritual in our lives. And while I don't necessarily care what your meaningful ritual is, I mean, obviously, I everybody should make hollow, but in all seriousness, I really don't care. But it could be gardening, it could be tap dancing. It doesn't matter, but I think it is imperative that we have ways to manage stress in our lives. You know, stress can make us sick, and we have a lot of control over that. We can alter our behavior, and while we can't necessarily fix everything, cure everything, you know, etc., our lifestyle can really impact our risk of disease, and if we have disease, how to treat our disease. And having meaningful rituals, I think, is a great step toward that. And so that is my, probably my biggest hope, is that people take that away. And what about for you? What was the thing that you, what was the, or maybe there was more than one important thing that you got out of this as the author and the, and the person who kind of gave everybody a look into who you are? That's a pretty personal kind of thing. And so... What was the important thing for you to take away from the writing project of this book? I think I came to it from a place of trying to do it all and be it all. And I was always over there when I should have been over here. And I thought originally that I was the only one dealing with that and that everybody else had figured it out. 
And what I've come to learn is that's not necessarily the case and that many of us have lots of different issues and we are all trying to balance a lot of different things. And it's been fun to realize that and then to talk about it and to come up with a way to address it. So this seems to me to be the perfect time to ask you if you have a favorite section in the book that you might want to read. Let me take a look. Well, what I usually like to do when I, when I give a talk, I like to actually read the last, absolute last paragraph of the book. The act of making the bread, the mixing and the kneading, the watching and the waiting can heal your heartache and your emptiness, your sense of being overwhelmed. It did for me. You could bake bread once a week, every week. I did. You can make it alone or with other women, like Rachel and Dana have done. The smell of fresh baking bread turned our house into a home. So go ahead, get down those ingredients, grab a bowl, and call me in the morning. I'd love to hear how you are doing. That's such a great ending. I love that. So I want to I just make a, a few closing comments about your book. First of all, so this is, this is a message to my listeners, and that is if you've ever even just toyed with the idea of making your own challah, I definitely suggest that you buy this book. And when you buy the book, that you want to be sure to have all the ingredients that you need to make the challah, because when you finish reading the book, if not before, you're going to want to make a challah. I'm totally serious about that. So that's my first advice. And the second is, I would say, buy the book even if you aren't going to make a challah. Because there's so much to this story and so much with what Beth shares about so many things that it's a book that makes you feel good. And what a great way to start out the new year by reading, you know, how better to start out the new year but by reading a great book. So that's what I want to say about that. And so, Beth, tell, tell everybody how they can find your book or where they can find your book. Oh, absolutely. So it is available wherever books are sold and certainly on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, places like that. So thank you. By all means, please. I'd be thrilled if you read the book. And then, of course, because everybody has to be wondering about this, and that is Beth has been really kind to share her challah recipe with all of you. So you'd, if you're looking for the recipe, you'll be able to find that posted on my website, which is thebigschmear.com, and schmear is spelled S-C-H-M-E-A-R, so thebigschmear.com, and you'll find that recipe. You'll find other information about this post, so I'm hoping you'll stop by. And, um, and Beth, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with me and, and being a guest on The Big Schmear. It's been really fun chatting with you. Thank you. I'm so appreciative as well, Beth. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Big Schmear. Our recording engineer in California was Joanna Clay. Our engineer and editor in Chicago was Steve Robinson. The Big Schmear theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo, from their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the CD record label. If you like The Big Schmear, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you have comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you. Please send your email to beth at thebigschmear.com. And be sure to check out my website, thebigschmear.com, to find recipes shared by my guests. Thanks for listening, and happy eating. Happy eating.